everyone. This is Chris and Sandy with the Chris and Sandy Show, where we get up close and personal with some amazing rising artists. And today, we've got Clark Beckham that's coming on, and he just popped in there, so we're really excited to have him on. Um, if you don't know who he is, he's, he's took second place in Idol. He's definitely got a story behind him, and we're looking forward to getting him on. So, Clark, are you here? I'm here. How you doing? Hey, pretty good. And yourself? I'm I'm doing great. Living the quarantine dream, I guess. <laughs> we we definitely understand that. Now, granted, our state, Georgia, was the first state to really open up. Oh, that's that's right. Yeah, Tennessee's been pretty open, so, open too. So we're pretty much. I mean, when, when we get out and about, we're pretty much probably eighty eighty five percent open. Oh wow, yeah, that's quite a bit. So as we get started here, um, tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and a brief overview of you. Sure. So my name is Clark Beckham. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, born and raised. Um, I grew up, uh, first time singing ever was in a gospel trio with my mom and dad. And then um, I was a street performer. I tried to get in any of the bars and clubs or coffee shops in Nashville and no one would really give me a shot so I just started playing on the street with an open guitar case. Oh, wow. Did that for a couple of years. Uh, went on American Idol and um, got second place. Uh, season 14 was a runner-up then and then was independent for a couple of years and then signed with Quincy Jones uh, Productions oh, wow. for Management um, and became close with, with Quincy and his team. Um, and now I'm with a wonderful manager named Mike Kraske, and, and we're doing well, and I've got music coming out, and um, and we're keeping on, keeping on. So let's pause a little bit on the idol. What was your thoughts before you went in the idol? I mean, you knew, you knew that day was there to audition. What was going through your head that day? You know, I uh, I remember thinking, kind of my mindset, like, the day of the audition and before I auditioned and that kind of a thing was, um, I don't know what's going to happen. There are so, I knew I was good enough to make it, but there's so many people who are, who are great Mm -hmm. singers who don't make it through. So I I didn't really get my hopes up at all. You kind of go and there's a lot of people in line, a lot of people waiting Mm -hmm. that are like absolutely convinced that they're going to win the entire show. And, um, (laughs) And typically, you don't see those people uh, go mm-hmm. very far. But yeah, um, you you know, I just kind of came in just thinking, um, I'm just going to sing my best, and uh, if I make it through, cool. If not, you know, we just keep you know just keep going. Now, now, was there anybody there that let's say that you heard them? Because of course, I know y'all everybody practices around each other. Was there anybody there that you kind of heard sing? and you knew that they was definitely going to make it through, and then they come out without a golden ticket? Oh, totally. Um, well, not so much. And what do so you think much, on that? Not so much in, in the golden ticket, like to make it to Hollywood, mm-hmm. but definitely yeah. in Hollywood, people, there are tons of people that would get cut in Hollywood that you're just mm-hmm. like, how in the world did they <laughs> not make it? And then all the way up to top 48, um, mm-hmm. you scratch your head, you think like what is what what's the thought process here on these people not making it and um mm. and and you you just got to know there's so many uh variables into this into the equation of who they want yeah. 
to go through exactly. and who they think has the best opportunity to really be a a uh, a pop star because that's their goal. Because I think that's what they're looking for, not just the great singer, but I think they're looking for okay, after Idol. That's Can you make it that's after? That's the entire focus. Absolutely. That's the entire focus. And I think that w- is what makes American Idol unique to the other mm-hmm. shows. Is that is their entire focus. And they have the mm-hmm. resume to back it up. Um, True. There's there <laughs> are <Underwood. laughs> hundreds and hundreds of number one hits by American Idol contestants. Um, and I don't think any of the other shows can say they have one. Um, and American Idol has hundreds of number ones. They've got tons of Grammys. They've got Oscars. They've got everything. And um, that they, it's because that's what they really focus on. Yeah, I remember back in the early days when on Carrie Underwood's season to where when she sang, I remember um, Simon told her, not only do I think you're going to win, but you're going to outsell all the other winners combined. Yep. Ain't it amazing how, again, I know a lot of people hated Simon for, in the early days, but he knew his stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He definitely, oh, yeah. No one questioned whether he, you know, was, whether he well, he knew what he was talking about. Um, yeah, it's incredible how he predicted that and um, was was pretty much right. Now let's go to the day that you were singing um, for to win. What was going through your mm-hmm. head then for those songs? Where because because you, you were this you, you were so close, you know, you made it yeah. second runner up. You were met, you were runner up. What was going through your mind during those um, singing performances? There were a lot of things going on um, that I was frustrated about and mm-hmm. things that were outside of my control in that like week or two or three, just like uh, span of time. And I remember mm-hmm. when it came down to singing, I remember thinking, I, right, I went into vi- sports is my first love. So I grew up playing sports. So that competitiveness mm-hmm. comes out quite a bit. So I remember thinking, <laughs> all right, it's just you and me. And I love Nick. He's one of my best friends in the whole world to this day. <laughs> but I just remember thinking you and me, bro. And I'm going to do everything I can to absolutely wipe you off the stage. I mean, that's the mentality that you have to have <laughs> in that moment. Yeah, exactly. And so my, I was very focused. Um, and I was like, all right, I'm just, I'm, I've got to focus and hunker down here and just rip the stage apart. Like I just got to do everything to make it not a question <clears throat> who should win. I mean, that was my mentality. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, during, during those songs. But at the end of the day, like I do my best, Nick did his best and Nick offers something to music that no one in the world can offer period. And mm-hmm. I do too. Every yeah. artist does. Um, and at the end of the day, um, the, the voters decided that they preferred Nick. But you, yeah, but still, it's got to be cool, even though you didn't come in first. But you know what? To, to, to be runner-up, I mean, to go against thousands and thousands of however many people did it that year, that's an amazing feat. It is, and I, you're right. I'm, I am so proud of that and so fortunate and grateful of that experience. And um, if I could go back and change a thing, I, I would not. I would like it to go out just the way it did. That is, and that's a great attitude. I love 
hearing that because, again, you know, you got some people that will start questioning, well, what if I did this and what if I did that? Sure. And you know what? It ha- it happens the way it happened the way it happened. You know, it happened yeah. the way it's supposed to happen in my eyes. You know, right? Yeah. Exactly right. <clears throat> so as you know, you know, um, as an artist, sometimes you can get so bombarded of everything coming at you downtime. So what do you do for hobbies outside of music to kind of help balance that somehow? Totally, you're absolutely right. Uh, I think it is important to have something outside of music. Um, there are a couple of things. One thing that's just, that kind of sticks throughout my life is mm-hmm. sports. So like my absolute favorite thing to do to like where I feel most at ease and mm-hmm. um, just in my element, I guess, outside of music would be playing sports. So whether that's like throwing the football around or playing basketball with my friends, like a pickup basketball game or playing soccer mm-hmm. Um, and then this past year, I got really heavy into long distance running um, and what's called oh, ultra wow. running, which is mm-hmm. uh, running distances farther than a marathon. Anything farther than a marathon is considered ultra running. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. that was something I really got into pretty heavily. Um, and so th- those ma- mainly athletic, as far as all the way down time, I would mm-hmm. say uh, I love playing video games. Always have. I was young. Like I just absolutely love um, playing video games. Just sit down and tune everything out. Huh? Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. <clears throat> so, at what age did you know? You know what? I could make a career out of this. I think I knew I could make a career out of it. I th- you know, even with Idol and even with my career, mm-hmm. I always knew that. Yeah, it's not for sure. With music, it's not like other professions where the best person gets yeah. the job. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean the best singer, the better singer you are, the better, like the more successful you are in your music artist career. So mm-hmm. I knew that I could. I think when I was really, really young, like eight or nine, when I started singing, I knew I was good enough to have a career potentially. I was about 19 when I made the decision mm-hmm. that I have to make a career because I couldn't help myself and there's no way I could do anything without doing music. I, I had to do music <laughs> at a high level. I knew that there was no other mm-hmm. choice. That that moment happened when I was, um, I think, 19 or 20. And And I really get you on that because like with our show, even though, I mean, we just launched a show January 3rd, but we've been around the music industry for six, seven years, but we just launched January 3rd, and you're actually our 113th interview since January 3rd. Oh, sweet. And, um, that's, that's so, great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and so we get what you're saying because we can't ima- imagine um, life without the show now because I told Sandy when we first started the show, I was like, because um, we run New Country Buzz and several other things within the music I was like, I said that our show's not going to be an extension of our brand. Our show's going to be the foundation of our brand. Mm, yeah, totally. Yeah, you it. did I, say I that. I am it. here now too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got we got a eight year old and a fifteen month old, so sometimes she has to kind of oh my goodness um, will a thing here while we're because we run everything from home and all that. Yes. And so. <laughs> 
you know, we got the 15-month-old so 15 15 down. The 15-month-old needs me. Yeah, we've got her down for a nap now, so good to go. <laughs> oh, that's good. Good. <laughs> and, and you'll hear from the 8-year-old later because we always have him ask yes. each artist one question. Oh, wonderful. I can't wait for that. <laughs> um, so at this point in your career, as you look back, what drives you? I mean, what's that, what's that deep desire? I know you want to be on top, but what drives that? I think it's just the obsession and love with the music that comes out of mm-hmm. me. And I really mean to, um, when I say that, I want to make it clear that the music that comes out of me is not because of me. So I don't, I can't yeah. take credit for the music yeah. that, that comes out. I mean, melodies and chords mm-hmm. and things that I lean towards. Like, I think that's, mm-hmm. um, I think music is the most supernatural, natural thing that we have access mm-hmm. to. I think it's the most divine thing that we can partake in. And so I don't take credit for the music that comes out, but the music that does come out when I am at the piano or singing or ideas come, um, I'm so in love with um, music as a whole and when I'm mm. participating in it and in the creation process, um, mm. there's, I just can't stop. Like I want it to go out and I, and I know it's good. So I want it to be seen and I want it to be heard. Um, and then another very practical drive mm-hmm. is um, I, I want to be able to do this full time so that I can put everything yeah. I have into music. Mm-hmm. And so on a practical sense to, to pay the bills, you know what I mean? Like I need to do enough <laughs> where I yeah. can do this for a living and I don't have mm-hmm. to get another job or have to do that kind of a thing. And I've been so fortunate enough and God's provided where that's, that's what I've been able to do since idol wow. is music full time. And, um, and that's, and I'm getting married in the fall. Oh, congratulations. So exact, oh, you know, congratulations. thank you very much. Uh, thank you. And so it's also, I want to make sure that we're good, you know, provision yeah. comes into it where it's not just yeah. me. Um, it's, it's her and I together. And so yeah. there's, you know, financial drive mm-hmm. that that's part of it, but mainly it's just the passion of mm-hmm. just the sounds of major seven chords and two five of fours and all these beautiful musical harmonies and lyrics and communication thereof. Mm-hmm. And we get you on that too, because you know, like one of the things that drives us with this show is, you know, I've always lived my life on, I would rather die broke than to wonder what if. You know, totally. If I'm on my if I'm on my deathbed and I know I gave it my all, I'm okay with that. But you know, because we actually gave up the whole music thing for a while for about three years. And it ate me alive. And I, back in the 2018, I told Sandy, I feel like we're sp- – I really feel like God was nudging here. And I was like, we, I feel like we're supposed to do this. I don't know why I feel that way, mm-hmm. but I feel like we're supposed to. So we relaunched in, in the 2018 and mm-hmm. built kind of a foundation in 2019. And then, of course, now we're doing a show for this year. And it's just like these moments where you're like – a divine intervention, like you were saying, you just feel that moment, like, you know what, I'm in the right place, and I feel like we're in the right place. So, so that's kind of what drives us, too, is, is we, we want to do something great, and we want, and we want to live off of this like you do. <laughs> you know, yeah. 
it'll be it'll be really awesome when we don't have to do like side get we do, you know one of the things we do is deliver food for people and stuff and other things yeah. mm-hmm. a little different totally. it'd be nice to not have to do none of that <laughs> yes yeah. someday we're, we're working towards it <laughs> yeah <clears throat> so when you look at your career so far outside of your idol moment because of course i know this would be one of them you would you would say so we've already discussed that one but when you look at your career so far outside of Idol, what are some moments where you're like, wow, I got to do that? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> well, my meet, meeting, like spending time with Quincy Jones in his living room. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> is that, those are my, I'm playing his piano overlooking L.A. on the top mm. of a mountain um, just with him there singing for him. I mean, that's something um, I, I played – I had a residency at Quincy Jones jazz club in Dubai for six weeks. That was an amazing moment. Um, This is going to sound silly, but I flew to Dubai for another gig for another reason and was flown um, business class on Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Qatar airlines. I think it was one of the nicest (laughs) airlines in the world. And it was the most incredible, luxurious, decadent experience I've ever had in my life. And I didn't want the plane to land. It was a 14-hour flight, and I didn't <laughs> want the plane to land. It was that good. Um, <laughs> wow. Those are the things that, oh, of course, uh, I played a song. Um, I recorded a song of mine called I Need, uh, and mm-hmm. it was um, it was produced by Steve Jordan, who is John Mayer's hmm. longtime producer and also drummer. Oh, wow. And Steve Steve also played drums on it, and Pino Palladino played bass on it. Uh, Pino hmm. is uh, John Mayer's, the John Mayer trio bass player, and he's also was played for many other people. Um, oh, wow. We tracked that live together. So Steve and, and um, Pino had a day off of the John Mayer tour, and they went to the studio and then we tracked my song live as a trio. So, like, I borrowed the John Mayer trio, played the song, um, and then we even jammed a little bit on Gravity and so, uh, by John Mayer. So that was a, an incredible moment, playing Gravity with the guys that really play it on a day off of tour when they actually play it with John Mayer. So those are the moments that stick out to me yeah. that post-Idol. That is awesome. And, and, you know, at this point, one thing I like to do is just a little bit. I like to go the other way because, you know, everybody sees the glory, but they don't see the grind. They don't see oh, the sacrifice. Goodness. <laughs> they, 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 right. they don't see what it really takes. And I, and I like to go there because I, I think people need to see this because a lot of times you hear people say stupid comments like, oh, an artist should just get a real job. And I have to stop sure. them on that because, you know, to me – I tell them an art, don't tell an artist they need a real job. They've got something better, a passion that they're striving for. That's way better than whatever you would call it. And to be honest, they don't realize that you as an independent artist has probably 20, 30 jobs that you're trying to balance. So you actually have That's a real so job. Right. You have a bunch of jobs. And, and I like so to go right. here and show you where I would like to go. Because we interviewed Allison Steele from Two Steel Girls back in 2014. And one of the questions I asked her was, what advice would you give an up-and-coming artist? And at that time, they were full-time with music. 
She says, this is going to sound funny coming from someone full-time, but if your heart will allow you to do anything outside of music, go do that and just keep music as a hobby. She says, once you take it as a career, it's a game changer. You have to eat different. You have to sleep different. You have to think different. She goes, you could have the worst day today, but if you've got a gig tonight, you've got a smile, be there for that crowd like there is no tomorrow. You, there's so many sacrifices that the family has to make. They miss birthdays. They miss other stuff. Um, there's so much struggle, financial struggle. But yeah. if your heart will not allow you to do anything outside of music, then go all in because that's the only way those kind of sacrifices will ever be worth it. What do you think of what she said? And let's go there a little bit. I've said um, nearly the exact same thing to so many people. I've actually heard this about, I heard it first about um, being a pastor of a church. I heard mm-hmm. someone said, if you, mm-hmm. if your heart would allow you to do anything else, you should do that thing. Cause the only way you're going to be able to make those sacrifices is if, if you realize there's, you can't do anything else. And it's the exact yeah. same thing with artistry, with being, a, with being a full-time artist in music is if you can do something else and be satisfied, you should do that thing. Um, because the only people who can make these sacrifices worth it are the people who realize that this is the only thing they can do. So, I mean, I just, I so agree with, I so agree with that. And what's some of the sacrifices you've had to make personally to where, where your average person would be like, I don't know if I could do that. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So many. Uh, They're probably like, where do you begin? Right. I'm, I'm so, yeah, and I'm so glad you're bringing this up because you're right. People hear, people see like, whoa, you, uh, you went to Dubai, you did this, you was man, living life. Like, trust me, like, yes, but also, um, I remember I, I, uh, I really wanted to. There's this uh, in London that I really wanted to write with, and the music scene in London is just really strong, especially with the kind of music mm. that I do, and I really wanted to go there. Um, and I found a flight, and if I used my points that I had built up um, mm-hmm. on with Delta, I could get there for like $60 round trip. So just yeah. a crazy, crazy cheap. So I waited yeah. for that moment, and in order to afford to do this, I wanted to – I got a, like an Airbnb that was like $35 a night, um, mm-hmm. and the only flight I could get was – I would leave at somewhere around like 6 p.m. And then I would arrive in London around um, like 5 a.m. Their, their time, <laughs> London time. And so I got to London and then I had a Heathrow and then I had to, um, I had to get all my stuff. So I had all my gear because I actually ended up playing a show there. I had about uh, 74 pounds in one bag of all my gear and music, oh, wow. I had two <laughs> guitars. Um, no, sorry. Yeah, I had one guitar case. It was a double case. I had two guitars in there. So I, was, I don't know, let's say 30 pounds. Then I had a backpack that was full and about 45 pounds that was over my mm-hmm. chest. So I wore it backwards. And then my guitars were on my <laughs> back. And then I had about 40 pounds of actual luggage like clothes and stuff toiletries things like that and Mm -hmm. so i have all of these things i look like a 
transformer. I mean, I just look like a giant <laughs> robot carrying all this stuff. I've got um, someone can do the math, but I mean, I've, I've got like 200 extra pounds or so that I'm carrying. And then I'm about 200 pounds myself. Mm-hmm. And so I've got to go through the, um, and I, I slept maybe an hour or two on the plane and I've got a full day. I've got about five meetings mm-hmm. that day starting oh, at 5 a.m. Wow. So I get on the train, I go into London, um, that's about 30, 45 minutes. And I get there, I find a way to go through the tube system, which is like the subway system. And I get mm. to my Airbnb. And then she says, no, we're not ready for you yet. And you can't drop your <laughs> luggage off. So then I have to go to a, uh, a 7 a.m. meeting in one part of London. My phone is on airplane mode because I don't have the plan to use any data. And so when mm. I get to Wi-Fi, I find on maps like find gps and then take screenshots of the directions <laughs> to where i'm headed and then i just go with all of my stuff through the subway system and i get there and walking through the streets not taking a taxi because i don't want to pay for it and mm-hmm. and i do five meetings that day and i go through, mm-hmm. i go all over london with about 200 pounds of luggage Upstairs, yeah. downstairs, <laughs> down underground into the tube, up wow. on top of railways, and um, even through rush hour, which is insane. And you can squeeze into carts, and I'm about four times my size with all these extra bags. People look mm-hmm. at me like I'm crazy. I'm falling asleep, <laughs> standing up. Um, I actually do a video interview in the afternoon, and I actually fall asleep in the middle of the video interview. Um, oh, wow. I'm sitting down and I fall yeah. asleep and then I wake myself up and it's pretty embarrassing. But, and then I finally get to the Airbnb that night and uh, it's about 85 degrees, kind of hot. So I'm kind of sweating from carrying all this stuff the whole day. Mm-hmm. Um, my arms and legs are shaking literally. Like when I put stuff down, they just start to shake. And then <laughs> I go to her and I, and I go to the Airbnb. Hey, I'm here. Da, da, da. And she's like, okay, you're, and this is a very skinny, skinny building. And there's uh, five flights of stairs that are really thin and really steep. So not like your typical staircase, but like in a movie, like really tall and really narrow stairs. And I can only carry one bag up at a time because it's that narrow. So then I carry up five flights of stairs, each bag, one by one, finally get to the top. And I've got a loft little thing up there and it's burning up hot. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, I'm sure she hasn't turned on the air conditioner yet because no one's been up here. So then I get all my stuff there. I'm drenched in sweat. And I say, Do we have control of the air conditioning. And she goes, Oh, I don't have air conditioning up here. Oh. So then mm. I don't have air conditioning. Oh my gosh. I have to sleep in the hot in the hot and I'm sweating. And I do that for two weeks that I'm there. Mm. But what happened is mm. I played a show. I met some great people, mm-hmm. wrote some great music, made some great connections and got a lot of stuff done and came home. And I think I spent maybe um, $300 total for a two week trip to London, <laughs> but I had wow. to do all those things. And it's like, I remember doing that and thinking nobody else would do this. <laughs> like, and I do the exact same thing when I'm, you know, I do many artists thing wouldn't do I'm that. Like, you're right. Oh, yeah. oh my God, totally. And I do the same thing when I'm on tour. So I've, I've toured 
I've, I think I've done four or five different tours, different legs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I take my own vehicles. I'm my mm-hmm. own roadie. I go with one other person that sells merch um, for me. And other than that, I load in, I load out all my own equipment. I'm doing the settlements at the end of the day with the venue, checking the numbers. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm staying with friends every, everywhere I go. I uh, either stay on couches or floors or guest bedrooms. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to pay for a hotel every night. And uh, I pack a lot of food and make food on the road um, to make it happen. So it's, it's yeah. the whole career is full of what can you do yourself, you know, to mm-hmm. make this, mm-hmm. this, happen yeah because yeah because you're not blake shelton yet you know exactly you know when you get to the, the, the higher level although there's still a lot of work for them it's a different kind of work at that point you know but at the beginning yeah. a lot of people don't realize that <clears throat> that it it takes a dedication that is second to none for an independent artist to ever make it you're so right you're so right. And I'm glad you told that story because I'm sitting there thinking, wow. You know, yeah, I mean, I've heard, we, we've heard stories, but that one, we have. I think, blows every story. We will heard. remember that story. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there's so many more, you know. I mean, there's so many more stories of of being on tour. And, and you know, I oh, – okay, one last one. This is actually, okay. this is actually my yeah. doing, though. So I did. I, I started this last tour uh, with an ultra marathon. So it's a 50 mile race. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started on. Um, I started February 9th. We started at 6 a.m. is when we started running, and I didn't mm-hmm. finish until 8:30 p.m. that mm-hmm. night. Oh my um, god! Covered 50 wow. miles, and I've never done that before. The next. So then I I get in the car. We drive back up. My legs are seizing. I mean, I'm just in a brand new type of soreness and pain and mm-hmm. dehydration and malnutrition and all the things. We drive up to uh, our host home, which is in Dallas, which is about two hours away. It takes mm-hmm. me about 45 minutes to just get cleaned up, just to, <laughs> like, change clothes um, and shower just from – everything that was hurting so much hard to move i get to bed i get to bed at about 12:30 and then i have to be up early in the morning to speak at a church uh oh, wow. the next morning and then the next day i start the tour and uh that was another one where i was like no one would do this <laughs> nobody <laughs> would do what i'm doing it's it's ridiculous People think I'm nuts. I mean, they hear this kind of stuff and like, oh my gosh. But the other, the only other option is like, oh, or I could not speak at a church and not have this opportunity to reach these other people and also have the love offering Mm -hmm. to help for the expenses of tour and to not Uh do this race that I, that I had a goal set for, for months and months and months. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to choose the hard thing if that's what needs to be done. You just got to do what you got to do. That's right. And and one day that'll fully pay off to where you will be on top and you'll be able to look back and these will be war stories uh, of totally. all that. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know, like you're telling now, you know, again, amazing, you know, because I think that even 
if there's any artists listening to the show right now or in the recording when we um, upload it and stuff, I don't know of many artists that would probably do that. I agree. <laughs> I, I think you're right. <laughs> which, which shows the dedication that you have to your craft, to your brand, to your passion. And, you know, and I, and I remember hearing um, the um, E.T., Eric Thomas, one of the first things I ever heard from him years ago as a motivational speaker. I remember he said that when when you get to the point to where you – you know, success will come when it when it ranks up there with breathing. You you got to want success so bad mm. that it's like breathing. Yeah, that's good. And, and that's good. I forget exactly how he worded it, but it was really good. And but it was basically to I paraphrase it, but but basically he was saying you got to you got to want it that bad. Yeah, and, and, it's bad, even, and it really looks go, like you do. Huh? I would even go to say it 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 becomes <clears throat> that necessary. You know, because it's not even like mm-hmm. I want it that bad. I'm going to lose my mind unless I have it. It's yeah. it's just be success it's and doing music at a high level, and even prolifically, just meaning releasing music and making it often and and at a high quality, is as necessary to me as breathing. And I think that's. I mean, it, it just has to happen. Yeah. And that's how we feel about our show. I mean, we feel like God is also leading us into a kind of pivoting our show some. Well, I mean, we'll all will always be a show where we interview artists, but we are about to add starting next week where we interview speakers who have went through hell and back, and they could, and they know God was with them in it. Oh, I love uh, that stories. And in fact, we've got mm-hmm. uh, Tuesday. We got one coming up where Tiffany Johnson, and um, she's become a friend of ours now. But three years ago, she went through um, a shark attack, and it took her arm. Oh my God! And when she tells that story, it it's breathtaking. Because uh, I was like, when mm. I was I on June second, she was talking about that because that was the anniversary of the three years, and she was talking about that. And I'm listening, and I'm like, Oh my God, I got to get her on my show. And that's when it clicked that God was pivoting us a little bit, not away from music, but to enhance what we already have. Yeah. Amen. So be it. Love that. Because, because let's face it, speakers and and artists, they do the same thing. Y'all both are using your voice to move people. Totally. And we're trying to communicate a message at the end of the day. You yeah. know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's a perfect time that we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to play your song Runaway, and then we're going to talk about that. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. All right. Hang on there. Hey, everyone. We have partnered with another great podcast called The Sports Guys Podcast. You can find them over at thesportsguyspodcast.com. The Sports Guys Podcast is a sports and country music podcast hosted by Brandon, Nick, and Andy. They cover sports on a state, regional, and national level with many of the biggest names in the sports industry. The Sports Guys also host a Backstage Pass music segment where they go behind the scenes and talk with some of the biggest artists in country music, everything from Texas country, Americana, as well as Nashville artists. 
The Backstage Pass provides a more in-depth look at the musicians' rise in music as they talk about their career and tell stories about their music to share with their fans. Many of the same guests will be appearing on our show as well. Again, you can find them over at thesportsguyspodcast.com. It's a grand slam of sports and music. Please go over and check them out.
love that song. It's really powerful. Great song. Yes, powerful. Thank you. Thank you so much. So so tell us the story behind it. Shoo! This was the very first song that I wrote and when I was uh, was going to perform it for the first time, mm-hmm. I felt a strong hesitation similar to a hesitation before you maybe confess something or say something like a secret to somebody or reveal yeah. something and you're like, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't I don't think I want to be that vulnerable here. Very first time <laughs> I ever felt that way before mm-hmm. I would perform the song. Um because mm-hmm. it's it's very strong and it says a lot of um it just says a, there's a lot of strong lyrics in there that aren't your typical poetic, nice, sweet lyrics. Yeah. Um like mm-hmm. I hate myself just as much as you do. Um I hate myself just as much as more just as much or more than you do. The idea of this song is about um I think a lot of times we see the bad guy in the situation, whether mm-hmm. it's someone who has an addiction to drugs, to gambling, to um cheating, to name it. And there's something mm-hmm. in him that uh, in him or her that um, a lot of times the narrative is he's a bad guy. He likes to do bad things and he wants to hurt people mm-hmm. often, mm-hmm. often, um, especially in relationships where addiction mm-hmm. can hurt um, mm-hmm. the other person. Most of the time, the bad guy in the situation is plagued by this addiction and doesn't know how to get out. Um, mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily, it doesn't justify um, yeah. the, the issue, but a lot of times the guy is, it hates himself as much as anyone else does. And it's, it's kind of just telling the story from that perspective. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, I can, and you know, I get that because I went through 19 years of addictions and, mm. and, until God healed me 12 years ago, but the first five years of our marriage, we've been married over 17 years now. Um, mm-hmm. Sandy went through hell because of that, but she never put me down. She never nagged. She never did. She uplifted me the way I mm. think God would want her to. And, and sometimes yeah. when we tell our story, um, people will say I, that she allowed me to walk over her, and, I'm, and I have to explain. No, she actually allowed me to experience God's pure love through her because mm. – you're right. I hated myself. And every time I got drunk, mm. I hated myself more. And and it's it's one yeah. of those double-edged swords. It's like you want to quit, but you can't. And then, and then you take that next drink, and then you want to quit, and then you can't. And it's a cycle that just keeps going on and on, and then you hate yourself more. And when you hate yourself more, you drink more. And then you hate, hate then you hate yourself for drinking more. Yep. So then you drink yep. more, and, and then it's a cycle, and it just keeps going and going until something explodes. And I can remember waking up um, December twenty sixth, oh seven. I pleaded to God. I was I was at my bottom, and I remember reaching out saying, "Please, I need healing here. I need." I I asked God to take the desire. I didn't ask Him to. Help me quit drinking and drugging, like the desire away. Because if you don't, I'm just going to end it all. Because I knew she didn't deserve that. See, that's where that's where I was mentally. Because yep. I was hating myself so much 
that it was getting to the point to where I was ready to end it all. Mm. And it was a tough cycle to be in. And she didn't know all this. All she knew is she was she'd uplift me, and she would go to God almost every night. Please heal his heart or something. Please help. <laughs> and she didn't realize that he was helping. And and I can remember that um, I felt the nudge of God that that morning. Say I felt like he was telling me, give him thirty days, and I'm healed. And I'm now granted. I'm now I'm uh-huh. thinking, okay, there's there's nobody gonna believe me on this. So I was like, I was like, you're God. How can yeah, I, now I'm thinking, okay, now I'm hearing things or feeling things, you know, because why would you need 30 days? You're God. I, I didn't get then what I get now. When you read the Bible, every miracle was preceded by some form of obedience. Mm, wow. My obedience was that 30 days. And sometime around the 27th, 28th day, I have never had the desire to drink or drug again, and it's over 12 years now. Oh man, give me chills. That's incredible. <laughs> so what you were talking about about that song and what it really was about when you, about the, when you used that analogy, I was like, oh wow, that's me. That's where I was. That's that's where I was those early years of our marriage. I was there because I destroyed my first marriage because of the addictions, and here it, and here it was. I was destroying it again, and she loved me so much. It was she loved me with such a pure heart. That God used her to change my life. Yeah, Amen. Wow. <clears throat> so I'm glad that you did say that because again, I, I, I'm always open. I mean, on because I really feel like as we grow and stuff, I've even told our marriage addiction story from several stages back in 2018. So I know that that's where God is eventually leading us, and and I think that's part yeah. of why He's adding us. To, um, interview speakers that's been through a lot because now that's getting us connected in multiple spots. And then next Absolutely. year we're moving to Nashville. So that's going to be a whole nother broad for us. Oh, not wonderful. <clears throat> so one thing I like to do on our show that I think people miss too, because I see, I try to be a little different on our show um, tagline. Um, but one thing I do like to do is recognize some of the people that are, that are on your team. Cause I think a lot of times People see you, but and they don't see the PR people. They don't see um, managers, producers, nothing. They they just see you, and I and they do so much behind the scenes that sometimes I think they deserve a pat on the back. So take one or two minutes to just kind of introduce the team that helps you be who you are. Oh man, um, well first I I I have to say um, my mom. Um, <clears throat> At, I mean, just from the very beginning, when I was a kid, I was in school and I didn't, they didn't have a choir uh, mm-hmm. uh, program really, and and so she became the choir teacher because there there wasn't one, so she just became the oh, choir wow. teacher, um, and she she filled in that spot um, later when there wasn't um, any type of acting opportunities. Uh, she became the theater teacher and directed full productions <laughs> and did that. She introduced me to a lot of the music that I that I know and love at a young age, oldies stuff, sixties and seventies music. Um, she uh, kind of when there ever was a void, um, and I didn't have an opportunity to do something, she kind of filled that void. And she was also the one that told me that convinced me to audition for American Idol. So 
Oh, she's wow. definitely first. My dad, of course, second, um, and right there with her, uh, just as probably my number one musical influence. Um, an okay. amazing singer and an amazing mm-hmm. uh, father to me. Um, and then there's oh, God, there's so many that I'd, I'd have to thank. But as far as on the music business side of things, um, yeah. Quincy Jones, when I was with him and that team, mm-hmm. people ask me a lot, like, what's this like what did you get from Quincy Jones like what's the secret to his success kind of a thing um and it's more than just being a a brilliant musical uh producer and writer and phenom arranger kind of it's more than that it's Mm -hmm. that but I think his what he taught me is his secret uh formula to success is um adoring people Uh, just Mm -hmm. just absolutely loving people and serving people Mm. and treating people well and sticking to his word and being a man of his word. Um, He was very hands-on socially. Uh, Just anytime Mm. I was in LA, um, he would invite me to be there at his house and talk and hang out and listen. And he'd do that with all of the artists that were on um, his roster um, and is wonderful at that. Um, and then the person who actually really set me up the moment I got off of Idol and had no idea what to do is um, my current manager now, Mike Kraske. When I got off of oh, Idol, wow. I had no idea what to do. And he met with me, sat me down, took me around all over Nashville, got me connected with the right people and got me set up um, and took nothing for it. Didn't take a dime. Um, and just just to help me out, and he's like, I'm not managing anyone right now. That's that's not the the line of work I'm doing in the industry. And, and we're interviewing um, him on Wednesday. Oh, yes, good. we are. Good. Because uh, we do that. a we, we we do a state of the music business podcast where we bring on executives and others on the business side of music mm-hmm. and just talk about love music it. in general. Yeah, love it. Well, yeah, he he's definitely one, and now he's he's um he now he is my manager and. He's oh, wow. a workhorse, and he's someone that I know that I can just trust in negotiations and in, in music dealings. And he's that is really awesome. I love that, and I love how you, your parents are really behind you. And we're like we're a family oriented show. I always tell, I always joke with people that that we're a family affair here. And we have an eight year old little Chris that always asks one question, so we, he's kind of a team member too on our show. And so Wonderful. we're going to get him on, on the show to ask his question. <laughs> He'd be upset if we miss him. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I would be upset as well. <laughs> okay, here's Christopher. Hi, Clark. What's your favorite food? My favorite food is chocolate chip cookies. Mm. Bar none, chocolate chip cookies <laughs> is my favorite food. Every time. And what's yours, Lucas? A pizza. I was going to say pizza, I swear. My favorite food is chocolate chip <laughs> cookies, and if it's not chocolate chip cookies, it's pepperoni pizza. <laughs> yep, that's his. <laughs> okay, bye. He comes and goes quick. <laughs> it don't I last long, but, but you know, and you know what? When our 15-month-old gets old enough, we'll plug her with one mm-hmm. question in. You know, great we, idea. You know, we're trying to build a legacy here um, we together. Are. I mean, my wife and I, we've 17 years married. And this is the part that people think we're crazy on, but we've been a 24-7 couple for 17 years of our marriage. 
We're pretty much. Mm. I mean, there are a few times where we are apart, but it's but we've never spent the night apart, which is going to suck because he's got to go through a major surgery at the end of this month. So we're going to have three nights apart. So we kind of hate that because we've never had a yes, night apart. Yes, So that part we're going to hate, but we have no choice. To yes, get her no all choice. fixed back up. Got to watch the kids. But yeah, <laughs> but but we've been a twenty four seven couple for. 17 years and we've yeah. never fit in anywhere uh it's like people think we're weird because of that and even in the christian community you would think that the christian community would be the one that would love that um because we go to church all the time we're ch- church folks and all that and we're 24 7 but nope they but yet this crazy music business we we have interviewed so many people that when we're talking about our story, they're like, "Oh yeah, we're we, we're together pretty much twenty four seven too." Mm, I love that. Yeah, and I, <laughs> and that's really cool because <laughs> again, we don't tell people they should you should do marriage the way we do. You really have to have a special bond, <laughs> or you'll kill each other. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> right, right, definitely. <laughs> but you know, it, it's the way. In fact, I even I remember when we first we met online back in '02. And I remember before, I felt like God was telling me my wife was online and thought I was nuts. And I remember they had to be a Christian, of course. And I remember that I had one deal breaker, and I call, got called all kinds of names for this one, but it was the way I wanted to live marriage. And I remember my deal breaker was if I start chatting with a girl back then, I would ask, one of the questions I would ask is if it were possible, would you consider – Living a twenty-four-seven marriage to build a legacy together, and you wouldn't believe the kind of responses I got out of that one. Oh God, it was. I mean, so, so, some <laughs> were, were nice about it. They were like, "I'm not the one for you if that's how you want to be." That's fine. I can yeah. get that. Um, again, I, that that's just. I didn't want to do a bait and switch where, oh, we're married. I want to spend more time. I want to. This is the kind of time I want to. This totally. is how I want to live my marriage. And, totally. and I remember mm-hmm. when I – it was like I went to probably two or three hundred women online because I was like I knew God – because God told – I felt like God said, you will know because she will stand out. And I, and I remember the day that we – a text with Sandy. Well, first off, I usually – I don't almost never um, chat with anybody that don't have a picture. She didn't have one. I was bored that day and looking for somebody to chat with. <laughs> um Second, <laughs> she was actually logging off because she was only on there deleting a message, and she done gave up on that site. It was a Christian site. So she already gave up on that site, but she was logging oh, off. Yeah, so as I she was about to log point. off, mm-hmm. I hit hi to her. So we really thin line. But as we started chatting, and I asked her that question. I'll never forget her answer. She said, I've never heard of that kind of marriage, but if that were even remotely possible, that would be awesome. And here mm. we are, 17 years later. <laughs> oh, I love yeah, it. it I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and people thought we were crazy because we met online on February 2nd. We talked on the phone for the first time February 4th. We set a wedding date on February 18th, and we met in person March 4th. So we were actually meeting in person to see who we were going to marry. What? Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> That's crazy. So hold on. You set a wedding date before you met. Yes. And yep, it's perfect. been going great. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And, That's and, incredible. Yeah, and again, you know, some people would say, see, look what she had to put up with at the beginning because of my addiction. You see, y'all jumped. But see, mm. I, I, I know 
that without a doubt that God pulled, pulled us together to help heal me. I really believe – and there's so many signs that we were supposed to be together, and we were supposed to move fast because we, we married yeah. that October and all that. And mm-hmm. we didn't spend much time together face-to-face because she was in Kentucky. I was in Georgia. So we spent may, less than 20 days face-to-face. All the rest of the time was of the eight months was on the phone. Um, so we really – you know, I used to joke when, after we married, so, okay, now we get the date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. That's true. But, but again – it was just one of them. And see, I think that because we had that stro- that kind of during my addiction phase of our beginning of our marriage, she um she knew that God brought us together for a reason. She just knew she mm-hmm. believed that with all mm-hmm. her heart. I believe if she didn't believe that, she um, she would have left. Yeah. And we would yeah, have missed absolutely. out on a marriage that's not only powerful. Our whole life has been built around our marriage. Our kids are now built. Mm-hmm. Again, we she would have we would have missed out on so much if she'd have been like your average woman and say, "Nope, I ain't putting up with this." Bye. Totally. <laughs> and here we are. Like I said, you know, I love I that. love to tell that, that story because again, story. It's, it, 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 like I tell people, we had a fairy tale beginning, a nightmare, begin, um, intermediate, and then back to fairy tale <laughs> for the last ten years. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> so, um, I love that story. We that's, get, that's so well, thank great. you. And, and we, I always like to tell that story from time to time because I, I want people to realize to think outside the box. God is good. And I don't always talk about God every time we're on the show, but I've seen that you, I could tell that you were in that arena. And I was like, Absolutely. okay, I can talk a little bit of, about Because, again, I don't want to push my beliefs on people on no. the show, but I want the artist to guide us where we can go and then we and, and if i feel like we can go Absolutely. there we go there because i because yeah, I, I love I talking about all this yeah you did well, that's what i'm saying mm-hmm. you, you know when you because because i know that yours at the beginning you were talking about you know that that you can't take credit for um your music and all that i knew where you were going there i was like yep that's i was like yep god who gets the credit and, and i love that again you know I love the t- and I think that's why God's leading us to add the speaker side into it because I love to talk about that stuff so much. That'll give me another outlet to really get and dig into God-inspired stories. And I, I'm so, I'm so down. And I, I've, I've actually kind of adapted like public speaking mm-hmm. myself, and I've oh, been wow. speaking at a lot of churches and even some conferences mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and and it's a powerful thing. That is, I oh, love, is. I love to hear yes, that. Yes, we love that. Love, love, love to hear that. You know, <clears throat> because again, <clears throat> you, you could, we can only do so much for God, but He, He's got to be guiding us. And when He says go, what choice do we have, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> if you, if you really believe He is who He says He is, and He says mm-hmm. go, then you don't really have a choice. I mean, you have a choice. And but, if you I mean, don't, that's when, that's when you choose. That's. And if you don't go and you really felt like God says, if, if you tell people, I feel like this is where God's leading me, then your, but your foot don't move forward, then that shows where you stand with him on your beliefs. Yeah, and I think the main, the main thing is if, if, you, if you believe God's saying to do something and you don't do it, I don't think you know who he is. True. You know, I don't think you know yeah. he has the best in mind for you and he's giving you life to the fullest. Right, that's what he wants to do, mm-hmm. and he knows more than you. So if you know he knows yep. more than you, and that he is in control, and that he wants the best for you, then you're gonna do it. I mean, you're gonna do what he asks for you to do, 
every single time. It's a no-brainer. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, our pastor, we interviewed him on – you know, we were starting to interview almost every day, and I remember um, Easter Sunday was coming up and this past Easter, and I was like, um, I'm just getting into this rhythm. And I was like, I, I, what can I do on Easter Sunday? Because I didn't want to, like, bring an artist on because I felt like, you know, you know, you don't know where people stand and all that because we're talking Easter here. Sure. I said, oh, my, my mm-hmm. pastor has – He's been he's been battling cancer three different times in like a year and a half. I mean, oh and gosh. he shouldn't be here. He should not be here. The doctors even have been dumbfounded on his story, mm-hmm. and, and he's like, and he keeps telling them, God's not ready to take me yet. You know, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, still here. And, and I was like, ooh, I wonder if he would let you know. And I, and we we've kind of created a friendship, me and him. In fact, he's about the only person locally here in Savannah that's really come up to us, and he said, Chris and Sandy. And this was before the Easter thing. He says, I'm really proud of what y'all are doing with your show. He didn't say I'm proud of you. He specifically pointed out the Chris and Sandy show. Nobody's done that. Yeah, and that's incredible. So I knew that he really loves what we're doing. And so I asked him, and he agreed. So we interviewed him on Easter Sunday, which was really, really cool. So that's the Very only cool. non-music interview we've done. So with this whole new movement that we're going to do next week, I really think that, you know, it's scary because I, you know, I've got certain questions I ask with each artist, and and I and I have my my favorite stories that I tell with each artist, you know. So I've got this routine down, and now I don't have a routine, so I'm gonna have to just sit there and figure it out. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I don't think that'll be a problem at all. I think you know, he'll 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 lead you however you want to, and I think because you're so passionate about it, I think we both know that. Um, conversation will be will be rich. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> so as we um, as we go to the final ten minutes or so of the show, what is um, or, um, if you could co-write with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be, and what would the song be about? It's got to be Stevie Wonder. I think he's the best. Oh, that's all. Awesome. I think he's the greatest of all time. Um, as far as chords and key stages and harmonies and notes and lyrics too, mm-hmm. all together, I think he's the best of all time. And I don't know what it'd be mm-hmm. about. Uh, it, I, I think about. Um, I would love to try to to put into lyrics and melody kind of what I've been kind of what I've been feeling about. Everything that's going mm-hmm. on with the riots and, yeah. the, uh, oh, yeah. and the, mm-hmm. the George Floyd situation, and um, mm-hmm. and also like the the love and the joy of loving people, you know, just of all yeah. you know, race, tribe, everybody. That, that would so maybe right awesome. it would be Stevie Wonder. That would be cool. Now, is there a song out there? That you've heard from somebody else, and you're like, I wish I wrote that. Oh, of course, many. The one I can think of right <laughs> now um, is uh, "Jealous" by Labyrinth. Oh, well. It's a beautiful song. This it's brilliant. It's, it personifies things like it says the lyrics are, "I'm just of rain that falls upon your skin. It's closer than my hands have been. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just of rain." And it's <laughs> just gorgeous and brilliant. No, 
That is really awesome. Now, I'm going to ask a question, and I have a purpose in the way I ask this, and I'll tell you the purpose right after I ask it. But if you had a magic wand and what you're about to say would 100% come true, where do you want to be in five years? And the reason I'm asking it this way, I want artists to open up a little bit because this past February made the five-year anniversary that we asked that question to Kelsey Ballerini. And the answer she gave us <laughs> is what she's living today. I mean, we yeah. literally saw her say this, and this is what she's mm-hmm. living five years later, almost to the T. She yeah, knew where absolutely. she was going five years ago. And I like to find out where it is that you want to be. So if all bets were off, where do you want to be in five years? Five years, I would love to have won um, two Grammys, and hmm. I'd like to be um, – at least in production of a uh, um, feature film from a major uh, production company uh, as a oh, wow. as a primary actor, not to say the lead, but a leader supporting actor. Yeah. Um, and I would like to. Um, those are the main two things I can think of. I mean, it's our awards and that would, accolades, that would but be amazing. I'd, like to be, I'd like to be touring, um, not out of my own car uh, anymore, <laughs> but with a, I'd like to be touring with my full band for mm-hmm. um, five years, 4,000, 5,000 people, the full band and, wow. and tour bus, um, and having a, um, those are, those are my first, those are my first thoughts. That, that would be awesome. And I'd now, love to be have, have yeah. speaking often too, like mm-hmm. speaking oh, um, at, oh, at churches that. and conferences, but secular and mm-hmm. for Christian, you know, for motivational uh-huh. reasons. And um, well, sorry, a couple more things I just thought of. I'd like to a <laughs> hundred at that point, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. is the ultimate goal for ultra marathon for me. And um, I'd just like to and works with a publishing company for a book. All right, done. Oh, There's wow. my five years. <laughs> yeah, that would yeah. be really awesome. And, and you know, talking about the speaking thing, I got to tell the story of my very first speaking engagement I ever did about 12, 13 years ago. We were helping oh, yes. uh, uh, um young professionals group get off the ground. We were kind of the founding members, and mm-hmm. um, they needed three people to speak on opening night, launch night, and it was only going to be five minutes. Uh, so I'll, be, I'll do it, you know, and you can speak on anything you want. So, I, you know, the, the the movie The Butterfly Effect just came out not long before that, I think it was. And I kind of was mm-hmm. trying to tell the story. I was going to tell the story of how if you change anything in your life from your past, you will change who you are today. That was kind of my theme. And I was going to tell parts of my story, including of how Sandy and I met and how that would change everything. And I had it all yeah. written out. And two, two big lessons before I talk about what happened that I learned. One is don't um, change what you're going to say the day of the speech. Big lesson learned. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Number two is don't have your very first speech that you ever have done in your life in front of 300 people. Another big okay. lesson learned. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm, get, I, I'm there. I've got my notes. And I'm thinking I, they call me up. I get up there. I glance at my paper, and it's shaking. I can't Uh-oh. read it. I can't read nothing. Mm-hmm. It's sh- oh, I mean, no. so 
they have a podium, so I thought no big deal. I can lay it there and all that. Problem is, and I'm a short guy, but it only come to my waist, and the lights were dim. So there's no putting it down the podium thing and reading it. It's just not happening. So I thought, okay, no big deal. I'll just – it's my story. I'll wing it. Um, problem. I open my mouth, and nothing comes out. Nothing. Oh, no. Zero. My – I mean nothing. I'm gasping. Yeah, literally nothing. I am literally gasping. And all I could think about was within the first 20 seconds, my first thought in that very moment was I have to get through this no matter what. Because I knew if I walked off, I'd probably never do anything with speaking again, ever. Because I knew this was a defining moment in my life. Yeah. And I'm trying and and, and, I, and Sandy was telling told me later that she was like – she wished she could have got up there and done something. She's on the front row like freaking not knowing – like, what did we do? You know, he can't, I, nothing's yeah, coming I was about out. I'm shaking for him. It was, <laughs> it was scary to and, watch for him. And, and I'm huh. sitting there, and I'm about a minute in, and I'm thinking these – and, of course, these poor people have to put up with me. For, I mean, we're talking – when you're in that position, a minute seems like forever. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I guess this was God. I was like, I'm going to just say the first, next thing that comes to my mind. So I take a deep breath, and I said, um, if y'all get nothing else out of this, at least you get a good laugh. Everybody <laughs>, laughed. I relaxed and nailed the rest. Mm-hmm. I oh, actually nailed great. the rest. And yeah. Because well, as long once I got started, I was good to go. It was like getting started, and, and I, all I could remember back then was like, um, "Wow, you know, I have to get through this. I have to, I have to get through this." It's, you yep. know, and and here it is. I speak. I've done a lot of speaking things and stuff, and and I still get nervous. And I'm, I want to always get nervous, but once I get started, I'm good to go. That's so right. That's so <laughs> right. And I- I've I've gone through those exact same emotions and exact same experiences, and I have fallen flat on my face hard in uh, oh, wow. in those instances. So I I I uh, I relate. I I get it, but you just got to keep going. That's right. Questions left. Um, Great. Let's say you had a friend of yours, and they and you heard him sing. This would be pre-COVID advice. You heard him sing, and they got something special. And they get on. They've gotten. They've played maybe twenty shows. So they're really just getting their feet wet. But they just. They. They've. They've got what every artist says that stage bug. They've looked over the crowd and they just knew this is where they're supposed to be. They come to right. you and say, Clark, I feel like this is where God wants me. This is what I'm supposed to do. What advice would you give that specific person to help guide them the next two, three, four years? Just on a very practical level. It's- it's all about, I'd say, it's all about content. One, it's about content. So make sure you're making stuff for fans to consume, um, mm-hmm. especially if you're not, if you, especially if you're not big yet. You've got to start to dig the rabbit hole for people to go down when they do discover mm-hmm. you, even two years down the road. And then I would oh, well. say on the same idea, don't mm-hmm. pay any attention to followers, likes, or comments. In any way, shape, or form, you just keep pumping out. And if it's good, by the time you do get discovered, people will have a wealth of um, a wealth of content and material to digest that's yours. That's how people yeah. really become fans of you. So that, that's what I thought. Awesome. 
That's really awesome advice. As we get to this last question, um, what is a question that you wish hosts like us would ask but they kind of never do? Okay. Um, you know what? I guess it might be the kind of question is, is what you already asked about the kind of the juxtaposition of what is some crazy things you've done that are just amazing and then right out yeah. saying what are some crazy things that you've done that have really been horrible, you know, really been <laughs> tough on the grind. That's, I think that's and, really yeah. I love that. I love it when we've covered that question because that, that que- we've actually used that que- answers to that question to help shape the show. We have. Mm. Yes. Oh, sure. <clears throat> and, you know, so let everybody know how they can reach you as we end this. Sorry, say that one more time. Uh, so, um, let everybody know how they can reach you as we end this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Best way to to kind of reach me and find what's going on, uh, Clark Beckham on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and ClarkBeckham.com for tour dates. Um, and uh, that's that's kind of the, the, the spiel. But um, I really appreciate you having me on. And um, and we enjoy, and we enjoyed it. And we look forward to having you back down the road too. Yes. Too. Me too. I appreciate it, guys. All right. You have a very blessed day. Okay, you too. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.